0: Receiving incoming transmission, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Radical Christians What's up, Radical Christians? Good to see you again. This week we're going to get into a very special topic about terminology. When we're speaking about hell, there are many words that come to mind. Purgatory, Gehenna, Sheol, Tartarus, Abraham's bosom. Are all these terms synonymous? Can they refer to beings instead of locations? We're going to get into some of that today. Now remember, while we're going into this episode, you're going to hear a lot of... uh, words and beliefs from other religions, such as Greek mythology, it's important to know that when we look into these things, that these are the people who related to the biblical writers at the time. This was in their culture. They were directly mingling with the Greek people, so they were directly influenced by their religion and their phraseology. Now, this is the same thing as if I were to use an analogy and say, the Christian walk is just like Instagram, where you do something righteous and nobody gives you likes on your picture. Okay, now, obviously the Christian walk has little to do with Instagram, but it illustrates that good deeds go unnoticed in this life. It's basically an analogy used to illustrate that point. Now, we're going to look at a quote from Josh Peck to kind of really set our mindset, set our, our tone for this episode to remember that. the people, A lot of the people that wrote the New Testament were surrounded by the Greek culture. So here's a quote from the book Afterlife. It says, If you are a Christian, you know that all truth originates from God. Yet, how he decides to reveal that truth is up to him and can vary depending on his will. Therefore, while as Christians we know the Bible is absolutely true, the way God chose to lead the original writers to those truths may not be so apparent. So, as Christians, we know the entire Bible is true. So, if some of the stuff in there are polemics, which are jabs at other religions basically, or if they use Greek phrases like Tartarus... Don't freak out. You know, the Bible is true, and they're relating to the people that they're talking to, their targeted audience, with the the, the phraseology of the time. Now, we're going to go ahead and get into our episode layout. So our episode layout is very simple. It's only seven parts. Part number one, Sheol. Two, Hades. Three, Tartarus. Four, Gehenna. Five, Abraham's bosom. Six, Purgatory. And seven, Why This Matters because none of this matters if it can't help your christian walk now our source texts for this week are the holy bible written by the holy spirit great author highly recommend the book and afterlife written by josh peck donna and ali anderson henson now before we get into our study we are going to approach the throne of god in prayer together heavenly father thank you for allowing us to have the freedom to do these broadcasts as usual We ask that you keep all error away from here. You steer me away from any topic you don't wish me to talk upon. And you guide me from any facts that are untrue. And you just lead this talk into a glorifying knowledge of your kingdom. And you touch somebody in a specific way, multiple people in a specific way to them, in a way that will glorify you. God, please let this come from a place of just preaching the things about your kingdom, talking about the things about your kingdom. We just this is this is our life. We, we we wish to learn about you and your kingdom to better prepare us for when we enter into your gates and we could stay away from these other places. No matter what their phrases are, they're all hell and we want to stay away from all of them. So we love you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Alright, let's get into it. Now for our paid content for this week, I'm going to give you a very helpful tip from what I've learned as a researcher, author, and content creator. very helpful tip and what you can do when you go to make your book videos anything it's a tip that i learned the hard way but it's valuable and it comes it comes in different forms and we're going to go over that now let's get into our first topic sheol so the hebrew word sheol is the equivalent to hell or the underworld or the greek hades now sometimes it's used interchangeably with pit and grave so we see in number sixteen when Moses warned Korah about disrespecting God, we see the use of these terms in Moses' warning about God's you know wrath coming upon them. So this is Numbers sixteen, thirty through thirty-three. It says, But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain to them, and they go down quick into the pit. The word used for pit is Sheol. Then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them. So the ground split open. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and they closed up upon them and they perished from among the congregation. So here we see the word pit being used instead of Sheol. Sheol was the original word and it's translated to pit. So this is referring to an underworld type place a place of God's judgment because this is wrath falling upon uh, the people of Korah and the ground literally opens up and swallows them up. That's reminiscent of the the God of death, Mot, in other religions. So now we're going to look at Ezekiel 31. This is Ezekiel giving Pharaoh a prophetic warning about God's judgment and wrath hitting him soon as well. So this is Ezekiel 31, 16. I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall when I cast them down to hell, which is Sheol. So first was pit being used for Sheol, now it's hell being used for Sheol. So I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall when I cast him down to hell with them that descend into the pit. Now that's a location in the ground and all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon, all that drink water shall be comforted in the nether parts of the earth. Now in this example, the word pit is, is the Hebrew word boer, B O W R. And it refers to a location in the ground. But since Sheol is mentioned in the first part of the verse, we can see that it's connected to the same concept of hell. So this is reinforcing the idea that Sheol is hell. So this happens again in Psalms 33, and it says, O Lord, Thou hast brought down my soul from the grave, Sheol. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. So here it goes again. First one, grave, Sheol. Then pit is the location in the ground. So it's likening the pit to Sheol and the grave to Sheol. Now, the Bible tells us that God will not leave his own in Sheol, but that he will deliver us from it. Us as Bible-believing Christians. Now, Psalms 16.10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, Sheol, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, Isaiah 28.18, And your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell, Sheol, shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. Now, this is talking about your covenant with death shall be disannulled. So, before the cross at Calvary, we had a covenant with death. We inherited the sin from Adam, and we were serving the master of death. Now, Jesus, what he did, ransomed us from death and disannulled our covenant with them. So this is what that's referring to. Now, our covenant with hell, Sheol. So we were doomed to go there, and Jesus rescued us from the grave. Now, let's look at Hosea 13, 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. Well, I could have just read the next verse and got there, but here we go. I will ransom them from the power of the grave, which is Sheol. I will redeem them from death. O oh, death, I will be thy plagues. O oh, grave, Sheol, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Ooh, so even if death and the grave repent, you know, this kind of, this in a way personifies them in this verse, but not fully. So if they were to repent, it says repentance is hidden from my eyes. It's a bad place to be. Now that is Sheol. So what what's the takeaway from this? We take away that the grave is sometimes used at interchange, or sometimes translated from Sheol and the pit refers to a location in the ground in conjunction with sheol now this is the hebrew word for hell now let's look at hades let's go to our greek ancient cousins to see a little bit about hades now like i mentioned in the beginning of the episode it's always good to get the the, the cultural context of the people who influence the biblical writers so if i were to the way i speak to you guys we use a lot of the ancient terms of. Uh, in, in a lot of the contexts of the people at the time, but but I speak to you in a way that is reminiscent of this culture. So, like, if I say just a, a simple one, if I, if I'm saying dude, or if I'm saying oh that's oh that that guy's being shady, you know, shady in, in our modern vernacular to mean uh, underhanded, sneaky. But that that's a, a fairly modern phrase. So if I if I would say oh Hades is a, is a, is a fairly shady individual, you would know what that meant. Now let's say. Two hundred years from now, if the world's still around, shady means it just means uh, covered in shade. That's all it means. And then people are like, "Oh, look, Hades was covered in shade. That means it, it had stuff above it. So that so so you see how people in a different time could could get something different from the from their context. That's why we're looking at the context of the people who wrote the Bible. <sighs> Here we go. In Greek mythology, the term Hades represented multiple ideas. So number one, Hades was an actual being. He was the son of the Titans, Cronus and Rhea, and he was the god of the underworld. Now, second, Hades was a location. This was the afterworld where all the deceased souls went, and it had three parts. We talked about last episode, Elysium for good deeds, Asphodel Fields for neutral deeds, and Tartarus for bad deeds. Now, third, Hades in the biblical text refers to what we know as the location of hell. So in the New Testament, when we see Hades, we understand that as hell. So in the Bible, the word Hades is the Greek version of Sheol. So we just learned about Sheol. This is the Greek word for Sheol. Now, now in the Greek cosmology, this refers to the dark region of the dead. So, so when they translate Sheol as Hades, they're saying the dark region of the dead. Now, we're going to look at uh, several contexts that the word Sheol is used in. And it's translated as Hades. I'm trying to make that clear. So there, it's tra- it's used in different contexts. So we're going to look at that. The first one is Matthew 16:18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, hell, shall not prevail against it. Now this is when Jesus and Peter were in front of Banias, which is the grotto of Pan, which is at the base of Mount Hermon, which was thought to the people at the time to be the, the physical location to the gates of hell. So he says, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against you. So he means hell, he means the underworld, he means the place that they were at, which was seen as the geographical entrance to hell. Now, let's look at Acts 2.27. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, Hades, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, this is speaking about God's not leaving this person's soul in hell. Now, we're going to look at some cases of this term being personified, being referred to as a person. So, Hades is an example of a word that meant... A person but over time became generalized and used for location also so it was in Greek, in Greek mythology it was used for the person of Hades then it was also used for the place that Hades was and now it's just a general term for either the deity or the, the, the location now that kind of that kind of thought process is is what's going on here so let's look at these verses in 1st 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty five. 55 O death where is thy sting O grave Hades where is thy victory so it's asking Hades, the underworld, where is your victory? Now, you ask that to a person who can respond. It's personified. Now, Revelation 6, 8, this applies to the, the coronavirus going around. And look, I already got it wrong. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. And Hell, which is Hades, followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with beasts of the earth. Now, this is pestilence. So this is the pale and the livid horse of Revelation, one of the four horsemen. Now, this says death sat on the horse and Hades followed him. So it's personifying death and Hades. Now, let's look at the rest of that verse. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell, Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works and death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Sometimes both of these things could be implied. Now you could you could either read this as as hell and Hades or death and Hades are cast as beings into the lake of fire, or you could say the place itself is crumpled up, tossed into the lake of fire, or you can kind of see the case for both. Now sometimes both can be implied. Now when Jesus caught like con- when Jesus conquers the the grave, it could be seen as him conquering the grave and any entity associated with that. So if if Jesus conquers Hades, he conquers the place and any entities ruling over that any principalities or powers that are associated with that he would by by simple logic conquer those beings as well so that is hades to sum that up what's the takeaway from that in greek mythology hades was the god of the underworld and the underworld itself which was in three parts elysium asphodel fields and tartarus now in the bible hades is the greek version of the word sheol which is hell and Hades is also personified in our Bible, so there may be a a entity as well that we know as Hades, who to the Greeks was known as Hades, but to the Hebrews is known as something else. So that's cool. It's very interesting. Now we're going to move on to Tartarus. So Tartarus was described in the four Socratic dialogues of Plato as the final location of the irreparably damned. So this is not just hell. This is like the hell for for people in hell, like the, the, the ultra hell, the mega hell, super hell. So in Greek and Roman thought, this was the place where people went whose deeds were so horrible that they could not be fixed. This was basically the unforgivables. Now, Tartarus was seen as an abyss that was as far below Hades as Hades was below Earth. Now, the original Greek term Tartarus is Tartarau, and it means the deepest abyss of hell. Now, this word is found once in the King James Version, which is 2 Peter 2.4, and it is in the verb form. And it's Tartarau, and it means thrust down to Tartarus. So let's go ahead and look at 2 Peter 2.4. You know this verse. This is old hat for us. So, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, Tartarus... And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So we know these to be the 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 watchers who sinned in Genesis six. So their sin was so grievous and so vile and heinous and unforgivable because humans can get forgiveness. I believe angels don't have that same that same luxury, or at least not in the same way. He may have long suffering with them because that's how he is how God is, but I don't think they have the same level of forgiveness we do. Because they have a higher responsibility, I would assume. So this says they are cast down in a chains of darkness, preserved until the judgment. So this is not Sheol, Hades. This is deeper. So this is, this is basically, I would consider it the same realm, but a different compartment. So I, this kind of implies that the place they're being held, the specific prison made for them, you wouldn't necessarily say that's another tier of hell. It's almost like a separate prison he made just for these angels who sinned. Derek Gilbert call, calls uh, Tartarus a place reserved for people who sinned this, who sinned against the divine order, who basically sinned against God and his counsel and, and, and basically God's infrastructure. So this is a horrible place. Now, humans don't go there. Now, we also see this mentioned in Jude 1, 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate, heaven, but left their own habitation, which could be their bodies, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now these are the same angels mentioned in 1 Enoch who went to Enoch and told him, asked if he could intercede to God on their behalf. They, they basically, they took human wives they corrupted mankind. They brought knowledge. Once you bring the knowledge, you can't be unbrought, You can't unlearn it. So they were like, oh man, we messed up. They're like, Enoch, we know you're in good with God. Please go plead our case. Uh, we, we want out. And Enoch's like, okay. He went and God said, no, I created angels to intercede for you. Not you to intercede for them. That's their job. And no, they're not forgiven. So this shows, if, if you can get God to be that that fired up or that that stern in, in his response and, and, and unforgiving seemingly, then you had to have done something horrible. So that kind of gives credence to the, to the, the fact that Tartarus is a deeper, deeper place. A, a, a place for stuff that humans can't do to get into. Now, another interesting tidbit, not even an interesting tidbit, another great, awesome part of the Bible. Uh, During his death, Jesus went down to these angels in Tartarus and declared victory over them. Okay, so let's look at 1 Peter 3, 19-20. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. So the setting that it's referring to is the flood the flood of the flood of noah now it says that these spirits were disobedient in the days of noah now what spirits do we know were disobedient in the days of noah the watchers the angels that descended on mount Hermon. you know the mesopotamia color they're called the greek titans they're called now here is a quote from the daily renegade host and best-selling author ryan Peterson on what it means when it says jesus preached to the spirits and in hell. Now a lot of people think that he just went down there and talked to the people that were that died before the cross, the human spirits that died before salvation came and that's not the case now this word preached, let's let's look at what the Judgment of the Nephilim book written by Ryan Peterson says, the New Testament has two Greek words translated preach in the King James Version the word used in the above verse means to be a herald officiate as a herald, it was more of a public proclamation than an invitation to forgiveness, the Lord proclaimed Proclaimed his conquest of the sinful forces of Satan and his kingdom. So the word used for preach when Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison, it is better translated as he went and officiated as a herald to the spirits in prison. So he proclaimed a victory over the spirits in prison. Now, what is a herald? Now in medieval times, in medieval times, hmm, a herald was was somebody with a trumpet, basically sometimes who, who would announce. The coming of a king or announce uh, royalty or a when something was about to be done something royal or exciting or eventful they would doo, 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 doo. all hail King George and then that that would be a herald so basically what Jesus did he went down in, into Tartarus and said doo, 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 doo. you guys have been owned and your punishment sticks I've saved the humanity that you've you've almost destroyed and you will be judged soon I'll be back and we'll settle this Went back to earth Went back to earth So that's all That's all I need to say about that If I had a microphone I'd drop it right here So instead I'll drop my highlighter Now let's move on to Gehenna Now the term Gehenna Comes from the Greek word Gehenna Which means hell It's another word for hell So Gehenna is the Greek version of the word Gehenna So Gehenna is the Greek version Of the Hebrew word gehenam which was the place where trash was dumped in the Valley of Hinnom, mentioned in our child sacrifice video, and you'll see why. So located south of Jerusalem, this was where some of the adulterers would sacrifice their children to Molech. So it was a deep pit that they would burn trash in, but also people would go there and sacrifice their children to Molech. Now, when the sacrifices stopped, this became a city dump where people people would start to bury their trash and burn their trash. So the valley was super deep and it had a never-ending stream of smoke and disgusting odors. So when the child sacrifice stopped, it became a city dump. Now, the it was always having trash burnt. There was odors and smoke always rising. So it looked like a never-ending pit of burning fire. So it also brought tons of swarming flies, maggots, and worms. Now, all of these facts are why it became the symbol for how people viewed hell. Just a steaming, writhing pit of maggots, worms, flies, and never-ending fire. And... Demonic spirits, because if you did child sacrifice there, that place is swarming with Nephilim spirits. So this is why many believe that this is this inspired the concept of hell in Mark 9, 46 and 48. Now that that those those verses say, Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So the fires were never quenched there, they kept burning, and the worm that dieth not, that could be these worms kept living on and on in that pit. There's always an abundant supply. Now this worm dieth not, this is something I've sought to look into and still will look into. Because I think there's more to that verse. Some people even uh, liken it to the silver cord. They talk about your soul having, where you snip it, but I don't know about all that. So let's look at Matthew 10:28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, which is Gehenna. Now we're going to look at Luke 12:5. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into Gehenna hell. Yea, i say unto you fear him that's speaking of god god has the power to cast you into hell so don't fear the devil who can kill your body but fear god who can allow you to go to hell the devil can tempt you to hell pull you to hell but who has ultimate control yahweh so the main takeaway from gehenna gehenna was a pit where a child sacrifice to Molech happened once that stopped it became a burning pit uh, a city dump which constantly burned this became the symbol for hell and it was used to relate to the people of the time of this is what hell is so it's like hey don't don't worry about who can destroy your body and, and send your body to the grave but who can also send your soul to Gehenna that pit back there you see that horrible gross pit the child sacrifice pit the burning trash pit you don't want your soul to go there do you well you know get your fear straight so next we move on to a sweet spot of Abraham's bosom so in Luke 16 we see the story of a wealthy man and a beggar named Lazarus. The wealthy man enjoyed a luxurious life and the beggar Lazarus would linger at his gates and beg for food. So Lazarus was poor and disease-ridden and upon his death angels carried him to a wonderful place called Abraham's bosom. Now when the wealthy man died, no angels carried him anywhere and the narrative only states that he died, it was buried and then found himself in hell. Now while in hell this rich man suffered nonstop, unbearable torture, and he, he saw a large chasm, a large gap, and he looked across it, and he saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, and he cried out for mercy. Now the wealthy man isn't even given a name, and remember last last week we talked about how in the ancient times ancient Israelites would think speaking someone's name would help them to be remembered. Now in this biblical text, they had they knew that worldview, and his name is not given. So that, that kind of is, is a long a, in the same line with that of like hey his name isn't remembered now that we know that they thought that we could see what it means that his name's not remembered it kind of that can those two can kind of be linked together another interesting fact is the fact that he could see across the chasm this was not some small gap this is basically thought of as being a huge huge chasm now the fact that he could see and he could cry out this falls in line with what a lot of people say about near-death experiences where the dimensions are different. You you know things without thinking them. You just know, and you could see, like, infinite distances, and just by, by thinking of it, you, you just have a different perception. So this kind of can lend credence to that. Now, remember, all of this is in the book, Afterlife. I'm taking the choice nuggets, and I'm purposely leaving out some other choice nuggets. I'm purposely leaving out, because after this is a whole section about how this applies to the Bible directly through the place of Tartarus, how Abraham's bosom goes to Tartarus in relation to the Bible. Now I'm leaving stuff for you to discover. So back to our study in Luke 16:26, Abraham states, and beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they, which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So this is that gap, that chasm. It is great and wide. It says it's basically a fence, if you will, now, one theory is that the afterlife in this verse is, is similar to Hades and has many layers, so different compartments. Now, and other people, other people think, the people that think that also tend to think that this is the, Abraham's bosom is the paradise Jesus was talking about when he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, paradise uh, comes from, I think, a Persian word, paradiso. And I, I remember this from years ago when I read G.H. Uh, Pember, where it was basically the court outside of a, a um, and I think the Gilberts talk about this too. And they say, probably say it way better. But but from what I remember from Pember, it was a court outside of the castle. So it was like the it was like you're inside the castle technically, but you're not really in the castle. You're in the front yard, basically. You're within the gates, but not fully in it. Now, some people think that this this was Abraham's bosom, a kind of holding pen of the dead, the righteous dead, who will then be transferred to heaven. So the quote from Derek and Sharon Gilbert, um, they tend to think that this place is a, is a place of honor and status, as opposed to a location, so they think being in Abraham's bosom is like a right standing. Like you, you are you're in a sweet spot. You're not in a geographical sweet spot. You're in a a uh, righteous sweet spot. So their quote says, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, which means that he is brought into the nearness where Abraham is. It isn't that Lazarus is brought to a geographical location with the title of Abraham's bosom. It's the fact that he has been brought to a position of honor. So, like I said. A lot of this stuff lines up with NDE's. Now, the, the major takeaway from Abraham's bosom is some people think it is the paradise Jesus spoke to when he spoke to the, the thief on the cross. Uh, basically, a, a holding pen for the righteous before the final arrival in heaven. Now, other people think that this is a just a place of honor, and it is a metaphorical place of honor. Now, I used to always think it was the holding pen. Now that I've seen this research and thought about it more, the fact that it's called Abraham's bosom, for me personally, I wouldn't say go off this. For me personally, the fact that it's called Abraham's bosom, it sounds more like a place of honor, but this is something, along with many things, I still have to think about. I still have to process. So while we are doing these things, there's a lot of this stuff that I know and I can say with authority, and then there's some stuff that I'm learning with you. So remember that we are on this journey together, and that may sound cheesy, but that's on you. So this is this is me learning with you teaching what i know and also sharing what i'm learning so years from now i may think whatever i think about hades now let's say years from now i find out something new there there's a new scroll found from uh around the dead sea area that says shed some new light now i would have to change what i think so we are on this journey together so remember no matter what video you watch no matter whose book you read You cannot take their stuff as 100% accuracy. You can only take the Word of God for that. People are prone to errors. No one person is going to have it all. When you think of a body, my hand, I can't walk on my hands. I can't eat with my neck. Each body has its pros, and each part of the body has its own pros and cons. So me, as Drew, the part of the body, I have my pros, I have the stuff I have right, and I have my cons, the stuff I have wrong. You may have parts right that I don't and parts wrong that I don't. We're supposed to come together. We're supposed to bring our research together and build each other up. That's what this channel is about, getting you excited for your Bibles and and building us and pushing us towards a greater understanding of the Lord. Why? So we could witness better, so we could marvel in God's glory, and so we can get to know our life, get to know where we're going. So let's move on to purgatory now, this is from Roman Catholicism, the concept of purgatory, and they believe that the souls of the deceased are sent to purgatory for a time of purification before they are allowed to enter heaven. Now, they had exceptions for martyrs who were, who would qualify for sainthood. So basically, they believe that the sins committed after their infant baptism needed to be confessed to a priest and any lingering guilt for the souls must be paid by the sinner through fasting, penance, saying a bunch of prayers, a bunch of Hail Marys, five Hail Marys, and that sin's forgiven. That's bogus. No offense to anybody who is a Roman Catholic, but to the organization of Roman Catholicism, uh, I personally feel like it's a paganized Christianity. It's the enemy's twisting of Christianity for the masses. Now, now, that's not to say that people that there aren't saved people in Roman Catholicism. They may be on their journey with the Lord, but I believe Roman Catholicism is dangerous. Because it gets labeled as Christianity. Think about it, who can do more damage to you? A Satanist preaching their doctrine? Or a false sheep? A wolf. Who can do more damage? Exactly, the wolf. So they, they had to say penance for their sins, they had to say the prayers, all that kind of thing. Now they believed if you died before doing those things, if you could if you didn't have time to say your five Hail Marys before you uh, for the the crime you committed, you would have to go to purgatory. This is like an evil holding pen. It was basically a, a punishment factory of, hey, come on, you know, work off your sins. Let's work your way through this this underworld punishment chamber to work off your sins, to, make, to purify you, to cleanse you, so you can enter into heaven. Now, what this sounds like to me is works. This sounds like works in the afterlife. So it's basically a waiting room for you to work through your lingering sins. And it's not fun. It's not a fun place. Now, the length of time you spent there depended on uh, what sins you committed. So according to Roman Catholics, there are two types of sins. There's venial and there's mortal. So the venial sins... Those are, are not as serious ones. They're punished in, in purgatory, and they're they're purified from the sinner to grant them entry to heaven. Now, mortal sins, those are punishable by hellfire, and those are by, basically, you're screwed. And if you die without those being worked out, you go straight to hell. No purgatory for you. Now, they get this doctrine from t- Revelations twenty one twenty seven, and it says that nothing unclean can enter into heaven. So they also believe the spirits in First Peter 3 19 that we looked at earlier, the spirits that Jesus spoke to, he preached to, they believe those are the spirits of dead humans in purgatory, instead of them being the angels that sinned by ta- in the days of Noah by taking human wives. So they believe this is another another source text, another source verse for their their doctrine. Now Protestants believe that Jesus accomplished everything necessary for salvation and for us to enter into heaven, and his blood cleanses us of all uncleanness so we could enter into heaven. And yes, nothing unclean will be in heaven, but his shed blood cleanses us. Now, I fall into that camp. I believe Jesus accomplished everything for salvation. You believe in him and you show a transformed life. It's not about works, it's about faith. You showing your transformed life shows that you believe it. If somebody's, you know, going to swing a bat at me and I duck, that shows my faith. My ducking isn't the thing that's being counted, it's the faith. It's the knowledge of hey, this bat's about to hit me, I'm going to duck. So I believe Jesus did everything that needed to be done and that his blood covers our sins. What that is not to say is that you pray your prayer once and you get into heaven. Now, that's something I'll probably talk about in the future where it's just like people are now at the point with Christianity where they believe they could say a prayer, you know, accept God into their heart and then that's it and they're done. Now, I think that the proof of a believer is that they continue to believe proof of a believer is that they continue to be transformed and conformed into Christ's image. So what relationship do you have with God if you prayed a prayer and never spoke to him again? You know, that's, that's a whole other topic. You could think on that and we can get into that if you guys want to do that. Uh, back to Purgatory. It's often referred to as Limbo and some people think Limbo is a different place than Purgatory. It's basically the same concept. The book Afterlife goes into this in detail and I'm choosing to leave that for you to go read so you have something good for that section. So these are the, the places of the underworld. That's pretty much it. The, this is all I wanted to get to today. Because what I want to do, this, and we're getting into why this matters. And now, now, I wanted to go over these terms because they all relate to the the afterlife, hell, the underworld, the place we're trying to steer clear of. Now, before I get into the why this matters, which is crucial. It's crucial. It's my favorite part of the show. Now, before we get into the why this matters... We're going to uh, talk about our paid content I'm going to be getting into And a little conference talk So, Nephilim Mounds Conference You know the deal, March 27th through 29th The last day we're going to the, the Nephilim Mounds Conference If you go into Facebook and you type in Nephilim Again, that's the conference If you go into the website, NephilimAgain.com You can find all the info there It's going to be awesome It's $89, Russ Dizar, LM Marzulli Chief Joseph everyone, Drew Graffia And I got some stuff To say there okay so another thing daily renegade affiliate code so I have a code for if you sign up for the site uh, there's and you get a membership or even just sign up there's a spot that says referrals if you look into the bottom of my video and I'll put a slide up right now that'll give the code or no I'll put it in the video description if you look in the video description there's gonna be a code you use you put in when you sign up for the website and it basically gives me credit too if you sign up a small portion of that will go towards to to my channel so I can help Build this channel, get resources, you know, books aren't cheap, that that definitely helps, you know, and, and if you just wish to donate, if you feel led to donate, if you like what I'm doing here, if you feel fed, if you feel, if you feel edified and you wish to contribute, you totally don't have to, you know why? Because this is free right here, this is great, you can soak up all of this that you want and just go do stuff for God's kingdom, but if you feel led to donate, um, I have a PayPal link, I think it's like PayPal dot me slash the radical christian um i'll put that up too but all of that helps and you know i love my books i have a huge stack right here let me just let me just grab a little bit of them Ooh. they're like little little weapons in my belt veneration afterlife right before we get into why this matters the last thing i just got the call today from a great man pastor jeff farster from a special church in georgia and he just informed me that he would like to have me at the next Southern Appalachian Prophecy Conference. Now, this is the last weekend of October. If that's a bit away, but you can get prepared. It's in Georgia, Ball Ground, Georgia. Uh, I can't wait. Last year was a blessing. It was a blast. It is just, you can go to the website, check pictures from last year. But man, it feels like home when you go into that church. It was a blessing. And and we got accepted with, with open arms. Russ will hopefully be there this year. Um, I don't know if I can say all who's going to be there, I'll I'll get back to you on that. But I will say this, hopefully Josh Peck will be there. So it's going to be great. But let's get into our why this matters. I'm, I'm champing at the bit. So today's topic matters for several reasons. And the first one is clarity. It is important to go over these terms to have clarity. Why do you want clarity? What do I mean by clarity? What I mean by clarity is a deeper understanding of what these terms mean. Because a lot of times when we read these verses, we say, oh, Hades is thrown into the pit of fire. Oh, is Hades a person? Oh, I think it's either a person or a place. And then that's it. We just know a little tidbit, but we don't dig into it. So when we learn these different places, what they mean, why they're translated that way, we get a picture of kind of who the people were at the time of, of, of this being written into their mindset, like the Valley of, of Gehenna. We see that they had a pit for child sacrifice that they likened to hell. Now we know Gehenna isn't some other secret compartment of hell that we don't know about. And it can get confusing. You're like, oh, what kind of sinners go to Gehenna? Are there multiple layers of hell? So the point is, when you have clarity, you you basically have that part of the Bible as a little sturdier ground. So think of it this way. You're trying to make your way across a swamp. Now you have these wooden planks. Now the Bible verses you don't know as well. They're small planks. So you could put your foot on that small plank and try to step across, and, and it's kind of shaky. But when you have a large plank, now this large plank would be you understanding the verse in depth as much as you can. When you have a large plank, now you have a solid footing. Now you can kind of camp there in the Bible and work your way forward. So what I mean by that is, let's say I, 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 I'm, I'm well-versed in the book of Joshua. Let's say I've researched it for years. I know the, the cultural background. I know, the, I know where they're from. I know all these different things. And then from my research in Joshua, I know about the angel of the Lord. Now, that's my that's my solid footing. From there, I can go to other verses about the angel of the Lord, and I have footing there. I have my footing there. So I can go there and I, I can learn, oh, this says something about the angel of the Lord to Gideon. Oh man, he appeared to Gideon. How do I know this is the angel of the Lord? Oh, look at all these things, these clues. Now, because of my research and my my strong footing in Joshua, I can have a strong footing in, in Judges. So when you get these references, hell... Hades, Sheol. Um, then you can go into Isaiah, which which goes into the Rephaim and, and, and um, the fall of Lucifer. And you could have some footing there. So let's just get some verses for you real quick right here. Um, let's see. Isaiah 14, 21. Lest they rise up and possess the earth. Uh, there's another one that's good. Um, Isaiah 26, 19. Thy dead men shall live and the earth shall cast out the Rephaim. The earth shall cast out. Where are they being cast out from? It's one of these places. So... That's why this matters. Um, and, and like I said earlier, we are on this journey together. I am learning with you. Everything that I research, I don't just pull it out of nowhere. I have to, to learn it. Some things I get to spend more time with. Other things I don't get to spend as much time with. But it all builds. Now I'm you You are building with me my strong footing in certain areas. Now, the, the, the second main reason of why this matters, and, and this matters for many reasons, but the second main reason I'm going to leave you with is this matters because... This gives us a better understanding of our heavenly Father's realm. Not to say hell is His realm, but His His world, His unseen realm, His realm outside of just Earth. We're learning about places that we're gonna, you know, speak about for eternity. We're gonna be learning. Your growth doesn't stop when you get to heaven. I'm I'm, on, I'm under the impression you keep growing, you keep learning because that's real life. That is your eternity. He didn't. He, God didn't create you to learn as much as you can on Earth and then you're in a fixed state for the rest of eternity. No. You know, we are going to be perpetual students. And, and there's a good quote from Paul Washer. I don't know the exact quote, but he's saying, you should always be learning about the kingdom. You should always be learning about the kingdom. You should never stop being a student because this is your life. You're seeking out clues to know your father, the guy, the the man who created you. And I use man loosely, um, the being who created you, the Elohim of Elohim, this this mysterious at times and, and all holy and all powerful powerful being, Created you? Why? You're, you're you're made of clay. He created these other beings, these spiritual beings, these angels, these these uh, seraphim, but he made us of clay, and he gave us literally the world. Why? Get to know him. Get to know his purposes. So let this fire you up. It fires me up. I love you guys. It's a blessing to do this for you and with you. It is a true blessing. Now we're gonna go ahead and get into our paid content, and we'll see you guys next week. Stay. Rad.